WNYC Studios is supported by Earth Justice. As a national legal nonprofit, Earth Justice has more than 200 full time lawyers who fight for a healthy environment. They're challenging utilities to lower your power bill and fight climate change by helping communities achieve clean, affordable energy for all. From stopping new gas plants to helping advance the growth of rooftop solar, Earth Justice is accelerating the clean energy transition so we can all breathe easy. Visit earthjustice.org slash power to learn more. That's earthjustice.org slash power. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, November 8th. We'll take a look at how abortion rights fared on election night and how abortion access is faring in America post-Dobbs. Republican-led Ohio voted to enshrine abortion rights, as you probably heard on the news by now, into the state constitution. And in Virginia, where Republicans pushed to outlaw most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, Democrats took control of the state legislature. Very interesting result from Virginia that we'll talk about. Also, in Ruby Red, Kentucky, voters reelected a Democratic governor who attacked his Republican opponent for supporting the state's near-total abortion ban. So we'll talk about whether these election results might be a bellwether for 2024, and we'll talk about the findings of the first full-year census of U.S. abortion providers the Society of Family Planning's We Count Project, which found that despite the Dobbs decision, the total number of legal abortions in the country increased slightly. Shafali Luthra is with us. She is a healthcare reporter at the 19th, a nonprofit newsroom covering gender and equity. Shafali, always good to have you. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Let's start in Ohio, though we probably don't have to linger there too much because people have been hearing this in the news last night and this morning. Um, but an interesting detail, 18 Ohio counties backed Trump in 2020 and voted in favor of abortion rights yesterday. Does that paint the clearest picture that Republicans running for office um, have to deal with this issue maybe in a different way? It certainly seems that way. We know that the Republican stance on abortion is incredibly unpopular, and it is unpopular across the board. Voters don't support abortion bans. They also largely don't trust Republicans on the issue. That's true even in polling that is unfavorable to Joe Biden. It's This is, this is just not a winning issue for them. They haven't found a stance where they can really convince voters that, that their priorities will be taken care of. And I think what's really revealing about Ohio is that this was the first time that a conservative-leaning state voted to affirmatively protect abortion rights as opposed to simply rejecting restrictions. And it certainly raises questions for moving forward. How will these kinds of measures potentially fare in other states where the politics are more complicated, say Florida or Missouri or Arizona, where there are efforts underway to get abortion rights protections on the 2024 ballot? Yeah, and Ohio was the only state this year that had an abortion rights referendum. I wonder if if you have a take on why the abortion rights proponents didn't wait until next year, as they are in other states. I'm guessing 
that they're targeting many of these referenda in swing states, um, assuming that they're going to do well and that they're going to bring out more Democratic voters uh, so they get sort of at least potentially a twofer there by putting an abortion rights uh, um, referendum on the ballot in a congressional election year. But they didn't do that in Ohio. Do you know why? I think it's still early to to understand exactly what happened. We do know that often off-year elections favor really high engagement voters, um, people who are just, you know, more excited to vote, more, care more about the political process. So it wouldn't be surprising if, if right, what we saw could, could have played into that, right? The idea that people turned out because they are engaged and know about abortion and care about the issue. But I think the other thing to consider is that there's a real practical implement, implementation factor as well, which is that the Ohio State Supreme Court was deciding whether to let the state's six-week abortion ban take effect. And the fact that this amendment has passed, right, it, it staves that off. It means that the six-week ban that was in effect for a couple of months cannot be enforced again because it is no longer constitutional. And I think we can't ignore that act element of this as well. You said Arizona and you said more complicated. Do you think an abortion rights referendum in that very important swing state next year is going to be a more complicated proposition than we've seen in Ohio and elsewhere? I think it's really early to know because we don't know yet if that measure will make it onto the ballot. We don't know what the funding looks like. This was a very expensive race in Ohio. Every abortion rights measure that has passed through the ballot has been very expensive. And I think there are there are questions that we need to, to monitor and be asking about how many resources go into this and the sense of urgency that voters have in Arizona because this in every state, abortion bans are unpopular, but every state's politics are also slightly different in terms of how much voters prioritize the issue. Virginia in yesterday's elections, I find this one really interesting and maybe the most interesting. Um, for people who don't know, Governor Glenn Youngkin, Republican, not up for re-election himself, uh, has been proposing a 15-week abortion ban. In Virginia, one house of the legislature was controlled by Democrats, the other by Republicans. He was hoping to flip the Democratic House to red, and then he could get this 15-week abortion ban through. Well, the opposite happened. The House that was Republican flipped to Democrat, and people say it was largely because of this issue. Is that how you see it? I think that is the, the reading that makes the most sense. This was a defining issue for the campaign. We know that the majority of Arizona voters, or excuse me, the majority of Virginia voters do not want more abortion restrictions. And we know that this was a top issue, maybe not the top issue, but, but quite high up there for voters in the state, especially Democrats, especially women, right, who are the people most likely to be affected by abortion restrictions. Um, and I, I think this. my impulse is to think that this is even more important than just a yes or no because Yunkin was positioning this as sort of a consensus or moderate position on abortion rights and trying to portray the Democrats as the extremists for wanting more than 15 weeks of access, I could see a scenario where if the Republicans did take the House uh, in uh, the, the other House in Virginia and this got through, that next year Republicans might be running in a lot of places on a 15-week ban as, hey, look, you still get abortion rights in the first trimester plus a few weeks. So this is the reasonable thing. 
Now, of course, abortion rights advocates would hate that, and they don't really see it as a compromise. Um, but it seems like this was a, a potentially you know, major political thrust by the Republicans, and it's dead in the water. I think that's absolutely right. This was the first effort to try to aggressively, actively, you know, promote an, an abortion rights restriction campaign by Republicans, and it didn't work. And this is important and interesting for a few reasons. The first is that it showed us not only that voters are going to come out in in opposition of, you know, ballot measures that would restrict abortion rights, but they have also made the connection that Republicans are more likely to restrict abortion rights and have voted accordingly. That is huge. And that wasn't the case necessarily before the Dobbs decision. I think what it also shows us is that, to your point, this was framed as the the compromise position. And, you know, there, there can be discussion over whether that is, in fact, a moderate approach, because, as we know, there's no medical reason for a 15-week ban. But we do know that largely those poll better. And yet, all the same, voters did not come out in favor of lawmakers who would support a 15-week ban. And that really speaks to how little they trust the GOP when it comes to abortion. And that, that fits into all the polling. They they think Democrats have a better handle on the issue. They do not believe that Republicans would stay at 15 weeks if, if even if that is what they campaigned on. And to their credit, there is some evidence that, that Republicans often don't stay at 15 weeks, right? We can look at Florida, where last year, a 15-week ban was passed and took effect. And then this year, Republicans came back and passed a six-week prohibition. Let me start down our other lane here with you, Shafali. Uh, this interesting news that research from the Guttmacher Institute, which studies abortion in various ways and is affiliated with Planned Parenthood, showed that legal abortions increased in the United States in the first six months of 2023 compared to um, before uh, Dobbs was decided and upended access to abortion nationwide. And of course, all these states put in all these bans. How could that be? This is a really interesting question. And to build on that, Guttmacher is not the only organization that found this, you know, slight increase in abortions. We also got a similar analysis from the Society for Family Planning. But I think a, a few important factors have to be considered in here. One is that people are really undergoing tremendous lengths to travel out of state for care. We are seeing, you know, countless Texans going to New Mexico, going to Florida, going to Kansas to access abortion. We are also seeing that that is a really expensive and often prohibitive journey. And wait times at clinics and destination states have grown longer. People's abortions are happening later. They are more expensive. We also know that before Dobbs, the number of abortions had actually been going up in America. And so it's really hard for us to, to come out of this and say, would they have gone up even more if not for this, these abortion bans? But I think one of the most important things for us to keep in mind is that this is still early days in a lot of ways. Um, those those data sets don't take into account the implications of North Carolina's 12-week ban, which took effect this summer and added other new restrictions as well that made a critical destination state much harder to leverage as a point for care. They don't take into effect what happens if Florida's six-week ban does take effect, and that's still, you know, being litigated in the courts, but that would have a significant impact as well because Florida is one of the major access points for abortion in the South. 
And I think we also need to keep in mind that there are other data sets that are starting to show implications for abortion bans that aren't surprising, but are also, from a health standpoint, quite concerning. We've seen the the rate of births in Texas go up since that six-week ban took effect, even before Roe was overturned. And we've also seen infant mortality increase. And that, a lot of researchers do link to abortion bans because people cannot terminate pregnancies that are, have medical complications. And that's a real concern that we will see continue to play out in the coming years. Now I think Elizabeth in Brooklyn is ready to go. Elizabeth is still there. Um, yeah, what I wanted to say, although I was happy about the referendum in Ohio passing, and of course I'm very much in favor of abortion being legal, what worries me is that if many states do you know, make it a constitutional right that abortion is absolutely legal, it will stop being <clears throat> an issue in elections. And if people feel confident that uh, you know, abortions have been made legal in their state, that may no longer influence them when, <coughs> when they go to vote. Elizabeth, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, that's a political calculation that I guess the Democratic Party has to make, right, Shafali? And I think there are interesting questions in there. One thing I was watching for in Virginia last night was would the fact that voters haven't necessarily had to perceive an existential threat to abortion rights, abortion is illegal up to viability there, make them less likely to turn out on the issue. And so far, that didn't happen. I think, to Elizabeth's point, though, another factor to consider is every year, we get further and further out from the Dobbs decision, potentially the news cycle moves on. How does this stay an important issue for voters? How does it maintain salience? Because the implications of bans aren't going away. By the way, here's uh, a text message from a listener on that Virginia proposal. Uh, Listener says 15 weeks is before most fetal abnormalities are discovered. Uh, So some before that, it depends on the test, right? And so some can be uh, detected before some, I think it does take after 15 weeks, but it's a very relevant thing to point out if 15 weeks was going to be the cutoff. It absolutely is. And I mean, beyond fetal abnormalities, we also know that other medical complications in pregnancy can occur after 15 weeks that require termination. Um, the the very famous one is um, having someone's water break before the fetus is viable, right? Which if not, you know, treated by, by termination can be life-threatening, but can be considered outlawed if you have a 15-week ban in effect. And, and you know, you can talk about medical exceptions, but what we have heard over and over again from physicians on the ground is that medical exceptions are just incredibly hard to navigate in real time, especially because if, if a court decides that you're wrong, uh, the risk is jail time. Um, as we talk about abortion rights as an issue in yesterday's election, and going forward, and about these findings um, that the number of abortions actually increased slightly after the Dobbs decision nationwide. To what you were just describing uh, about how a woman risks imprisonment um, if she has an abortion on the wrong side of, of a deadline line, depending on the state, earlier this month, an Idaho woman and her son were charged with kidnapping after prosecutors say they took the son's minor girlfriend out of state to get an abortion. Police used the girl's cell phone data 
to confirm that the trio traveled to Oregon in May to obtain the abortion. Despite the string of abortion rights victories in yesterday's election, this is still going to be the reality for many people for many people across the country, right? I would be very cautious about extrapolating too much from the Idaho case in particular, especially because the charges levied weren't actually through any abortion restrictions, but through um, kidnapping laws that, that exist. In. And it seems like there are some specific details in that case that that make it very particular. But I think to your point, it is very clear that Republicans and Republicans who oppose abortion are quite concerned about people traveling out of state to access care. And I have heard from many that their their concern moving forward is twofold. They want to pass more abortion restrictions, and they also want to find more ways to target the people who who help people travel out of state for abortions that they seek and finding a way to to cut off that support system, especially because many of them do not feel ready, at least at this point, to go after pregnant people themselves. Does the data that shows a rise in the number of abortions nationally since Dobbs indicate not just crossing of state lines like that uh, to legal states, but also a rise in abortions among those living in legal states? That, I think it's not really easy for us to tease out because we don't have a ton of data about where people live when they get those abortions. Um, it, it wouldn't be surprising, but I think we're just we're in too early days to fully understand what exactly that means, other than the very clear, obvious travel patterns. Could be that even in legal states, um, people weren't entirely aware of all their rights or focused on something uh, as focused as they are since Dobbs, and it became such, uh, you know, a resurgent issue on the pro-abortion rights side, um, that they even that they even have that choice, or that that choice is moral for them to make. It's just a theory. And, and one thing that is interesting is that in some states that that haven't emerged as these, you know, essential destinations for abortion, at least in, in the first year post-Dobbs, um, you know, states like California or New York, we have still seen an investment in making abortion more accessible. And I mean, it's 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 a, possi- it's a possibility for sure that what the implications were there were to to make access easier for people living in those states, as opposed to to expanding access to people who live in states with abortion bans. On the Ohio referendum that put abortion rights into the state constitution yesterday, Candace in Manhattan, but originally from Ohio, you're on WNYC. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Good, thank you. uh, (laughs) Good. Me too. Uh, Me too. I'm pro-choice. It's a good day. I would like to point out that from my perspective, uh, you might not want to make too much linking this outcome, uh, pro-choice outcome, to any larger questions of who is going to take the election upcoming. This is a very specific issue, pro-choice, and it was linked also with the marijuana referendum. And that's really all that was on the ballot. Uh, so this is a turnout question. The, the takeaway here, I think, is turn out your people. Uh, if you go down all of the 88 counties, the list in Ohio, and you look at urban versus rural, well, the urban counties went pro-choice. The rural, some of the rural ones did too, turnout, because you can see that it was the college kids. 
the in the rural areas uh-huh. that turned out. And uh, in other words, I really think the takeaway here is turn out your people and don't put too much stock in the idea that this necessarily uh, links to larger questions. Candace, thank you. Although I think we did see, Shafali, that in 2022, in the congressional elections, abortion rights emerged as a major reason why there wasn't as much of a red wave uh, as a lot of people predicted. But it's in play as to whether it will be a defining issue next year. The um, New York Times-Siena College poll that's getting so much attention this week found that one of the reasons Trump is leading against a a hypothetical matchup against Biden in a lot of swing states is that people may be for abortion rights, but it's not what they think is um, up in the election uh, is at stake as opposed to economic issues where they where they may favor Trump. So that's that's a big political question going forward for next year, right, is for the Democrats to make it salient. I think that's a really important point. We saw not one but two pretty bad polls for Joe Biden in the past few days, right? There was the New York Times one and also a CNN poll that also showed Trump ahead of him. And obviously, we we know from the data that voters trust Democrats more on abortion. And we do know that in the immediate post-Dobbs fervor, they, they put abortion as a higher priority issue than they had in years past. And we know that they did that in Virginia last night. But whether that happens again in a year and whether that is enough to overcome the Joe Biden's, you know, low approval ratings is, is I think a question we will be want monitoring and interrogating over the coming year. Shafali Luther, a healthcare reporter at the 19th, a nonprofit newsroom covering gender inequity. We always appreciate when you come on, Shafali. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.